And now, the moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you've been listening a while, you know I usually do an introduction before my guest is here. But today, because A, my guest showed up early, and B, um, we had no sound or power here at first, um, we're just going to do the whole thing together. My guest, though, uh, I had a whole introduction prepared, Neil. Uh, my my guest is the incredible writer-director Neil Berger. Uh, you know his movies, um, ranging from The Illusionist, starring Edward Norton, Paul Giamatti, and Jessica Biel, to Divergent, starring Shailene Woolsey and... Uh, Woodley. Well, that her, Shailene. Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley, who's my like one of my daughter's absolute favorites. I messed that up. Uh, Kate and, Winslet, Theo James. They're all very good, yep. by the way, in Divergent. Mm -hmm. uh, Limitless, a huge favorite of mine, starring uh, Bobbert Dinaro. <laughs> and, uh, Known by many other names. De Niro and Bradley Cooper. Yep. And, uh, and a longtime friend of mine and someone um, with whom I've worked uh, repeatedly. Uh, Neil, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. No, this is great. Um, you know, I think people, I'm always really interested in how, how people stick with something even and in, and in their own belief in themselves, even in the face of an industry, our industry, but any industry, um, being really late to recognize. So uh, I, I kind of want to start with, um, Where'd you go to college? I went to Yale. Having grown up where? I grew up in Connecticut. And uh, how many years from when you graduated from Yale until you were on the set of your first movie that you directed? Like a first feature film? Yeah. It could have been a while. It might have been 15 years or something like that. So, because I was doing, when I got out of Yale, I was, um, I'd been a painter at Yale and uh, and then started making small films and and thought that I was more interested in film and but in as coming from the the art side of things was doing projections and doing art sort of art pieces that were films projecting films on buildings and in storefronts and things like that that I was not a film buff were you living up. living he here then living, or in LA living, living, in, living in New York yeah and then I sort of figured out that I was more I started experimenting with playing around with writing and and trying to make the experimental films more interesting and more more dramatic and and then kind of never went back actually never sort of felt I had a facility or you know something with with writing and uh, in and creating you, little dramatic scenarios you never knew that before no uh, uh, you didn't take English classes at all. I did, but I, I struggled actually with writing. I um, because I was writing, you know, essays and things like that, and and um, and but never really writing. I had written actually some compositions, you know, some fiction things in 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 college, and I sort of thought that there was something there, but somehow it was the dramatic. It was like the screenplay form and that sort of unit of storytelling that actually I'd never touched before and um and suddenly made made sense and you know it's interesting it's lynch you know, david lynch went on a similar i don't know if you've ever read his book but you know he was a painter and then did this installation that had images and do you, are you aware of that whole i, I think so yeah yeah i remember i remember reading a lot about david lynch when i was you know in my 20s and seeing what he where he had come from and things like that but i don't remember the specifics it's funny because you're so clearly a writer i so think of you're a filmmaker and visual stylist but 
uh, I would have thought that part of you wanted to express yourself in this way for a lo longer before you started writing, but it, you actually did it to serve um, these these uh, visual these images. That's right. Yeah, just because I I was looking at experimental film, I thought, oh, I'm an experimental filmmaker, and I would look at experimental films in museums or in galleries or wherever you know one would see them, and I found them not often really interesting visually, but not somehow not compelling, and they were not using the full vocabulary of filmmaking like they weren't using drama they weren't, weren't using time really um and uh and and they weren't using the dramatic technique which is you know to increase tension and release tension and um and i thought well that's what's missing and i wanted to teach myself that sort of dra dramatic technique and what were you doing to like earn a living during i was working time? as like a pa on film sets or production coordinator and things like that so and, I was in the film business, but I was more interested in experimental film. And how long? How long did this like uh, like last for you? Had you said to yourself, "I'm gonna be fine to live like the poor life of an artist for for forever"? That's, I, yeah, I was probably delusional. Well, you know, it's funny because I the way it worked was I was a painter maybe for the first three years in college, and then the last year I thought, "Oh no, no, I want to do film." And so, and I thought the paintings I wanted to make were moving images, so I started shifting over to that. And then I moved to New York, and I was doing experimental film for about a year, and it was probably in that time that I started shifting over um, to, you know, wanting to do something that was more narrative. And and I wasn't really thinking about um, how I was going to survive. You were just going to, like, sort of figure it out, do jobs that you had to do, because you were, at some point, were you... Were you convinced early on, like, oh, I'm I'm going to keep getting better at this, or I'm getting better at this? Like, well, how did you, how did you measure what you were doing for yourself to know you weren't um, delusional? To use your word. Well, I think I was a little bit lost, probably, and I wasn't. I, I, um, I, I guess I think what was happening is I was making shifts pretty quickly, so that I was. Um, you know, I'd been a painter, and then I was interested in experimental film, and I did that for a little while, and then I was shifting to regular, you know, sort of more conventional narrative film or an interest in that. And I knew some people and lost some friends in Los Angeles who were doing that. So I sort of always had like there was like always a little goal, you know, a year out. And so at a certain point, I got in my head that, um, and this was sort of more common, maybe it's still common. I was going to make a short film. And then from that short film, I was going to spin that into getting a feature based on that. You know, that the short film was going to be my calling card. So, you know, pretty quickly. So it was sort of step of sort of hopping from stone to stone, you know, across a river. And yeah, and and, and it and what I had thought was that, that that period of it went kind of quickly for you from there to being a working commercial director. Is yeah. that accurate? F fairly accurate. Maybe when I was about 27. I did that, so I don't know. I know at the time it sounded, felt, I'm sure it felt like an eternity. But, but so from 22, you're figuring out, hey, I want to do this thing. 27, you're making commercials. That's right. And then it's not till you're close to 40 that you get to make right. uh, your it, first full-length movie, which was Interview with the Assassin. Right. But I had a very long, I had a 10-year you know, a, a period of, of um, uh, you know, or an 8-year period of being like kind of a high-level commercial director. And so that was... And, and during that time, I was writing, and I'd had some false starts with, you know, I'd written um, a, a screenplay that I really wanted to do that was about failure, actually. Yeah. So, um, and about a failing rock musician who moves home. Uh, yeah, I remember the script. I yeah. mean, I, know, I, yeah. I remember the story. Um, when... Which is very near and dear to my heart. 
<laughs> end of my experience. But you mean yeah. he was you? In well, a way. he was. Yeah, it was. My, it was all my fears, kind of. Um, Manifest. You know, yeah, put forward. And did you know that? Yeah, that was kind. That it was, was conscious. The, the theme of the, the central question of the uh, of the story was when do you give up? Right. So uh, you know, people always ask me. They'll they'll tweet to me or they'll 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 ask like um, about self doubt. Maybe somehow operating under the idea that that people who are able to do this don't have it, or always knew. But you're saying you were grappling with, am I crazy? Or because I always feel like the line between an art being an artist and being delusional. Well, being an artist and being a guy on the street, you yeah, know, well, the homeless guy slumped in the against the building is, you know. It's, you yeah, know. you happen to be right, and maybe he happened to be wrong right. about what the world would recognize at this moment right. as being worthy. Yeah, and until it happens, is hard to know. Yeah, and and I think for some people who had who started with with in, in a weird way, I think from the outside someone would look at you like a yell educated guy raised in Connecticut of some privilege. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, not that you were uh, Bill Gates's child, but you know what I'm saying. Um. But I would not have been on the. If I had failed, my parents would have. You know, I would have been shamed, but but not not destitute. Yeah, you would have eaten. Yeah, um, and I think people might think, oh, well, it was. E um, those years are easy. So, I, but I remember when I when we met. I thought, like, God, this guy's brilliant. Like, what's wrong? Like, why isn't this? Because <laughs> you had decided at a certain point that the commercials were kind of a bankrupt endeavor for you. Yeah. We're not. Am I right? I don't want to put words in your yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I was never particularly into advertising. I was never after a commercial career. And what I, I had done, I had made some, when I was about 26 or something like that, I made these one-minute movies for MTV that were like public service announcements, but they were promoting reading, but they weren't like readings, nor were they illustrations of the book. They were like music videos, but instead of music, it was literature and language that was being... Showcased, and they were very, they were, they were cool, and they had act. Tim Hutton was in one, and <clears throat> Aiden Quinn was in another. These guys, I just talked them into it, and I did those, um, and they were well received, and I got a commercial career contract, whatever you want to call it, dropped in my lap, and I was nothing. I'd never been interested in advertising. I sort of didn't like advertising. You know, didn't believe in, you know, <laughs> tricking yeah. people into a drinking a coke or something. And um, but I was, you know, it was an incredible experience. I had a friend that said to me, he's like, you know what? Sometimes you have to go with it. And so and you so did. I, yeah. And were you educating yourself at the time uh, about move? Like, how did you go about? So you're like, hey, I want to be. I was a painter. And I know you, so I know the amount of, because um, I think it's really important, like the amount of work you put in. You're a, you're, I don't, workaholic is a strange word, but when you dive in. Workhorse. You're like, workhorse. <laughs> That's your new nickname, I think. Neil's email, workhorse at Gmail. But so you, um, but when you like uh, dive into something, you really dive in. So I'm sure you were immersed in what it meant to be a painter. Yeah, though I was younger then, and so, but I was, I was really interested in, yeah, and learning about every, every. Oh, but so when you were young, painting. but no, but I'm interested. So it wasn't really your path. It wasn't. It. Well, I'd grown up drawing and painting, and that had always been something that had been one that was relaxing for me, and then one it was also I wasn't like painting still lives. I was creating little worlds, like you know the world, uh, uh, what a city, you know, a city, and drawing every you know building and or a battlefield and what you know when I was a kid and things like that. And so when I was painting. Yeah, no, I I did throw myself into it. Yeah, did that come easily to you? At, at the drawing and the painting did. Yeah, and um, 
and then I was interested in it too. Um, it still felt a little bit alien because it was, you know, my parents who were, you know, practical people would be like, well, you're interested in painting so you can be a graphic designer or you can be, uh, you know, if you're interested in architecture, you would be uh, industrial design. You know, there's always like a, you know, practical component to it. So it's sort of pulling you back from the crazy edge of it. Yeah. So how did you parry that both externally and internally? Um, uh, you know, it was something that I struggled with. You know, I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I remember saying to them, I want to be an artist. <laughs> you know, <A> mortifying words. <laughs> I know. Mortifying, but they should be comforting to people who, whatever they want to be. Like, yeah. um, sometimes you have to say the embarrassing. That's right. How else do you admit it to yourself? Right. Unless in a, in a, in an, uh, a moment of high exigency, you, yeah. you blurt it out. Right. Right. And so, but on the other hand, yeah, you have that doubt. You have that like, what the fuck? You know, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not like... I was doing it, you know, when you're an artist or filmmaker or whatever, you do it because you need to do it. And um, and some people would say that, well, I can't do anything else. I feel like I could do something else, but I need to do this. Yet, and and some people are just completely consumed and they can't even, you know, it depends on what your personality is. And I'm, you know, I probably could do something else. And so there's always that, am I crazy? Am I... You know, am I squandering whatever other gifts I have? Yeah, or am I going to end up at some, you know, going to wake up one day and I'm, you know, 40 years old or something like that and be like, well, you know, and I, you know, you know, people like that. So, y yeah, um, but I think sometimes people conflate though the, the, the idea that um, when when an artist says, uh, you know, I needed to do it, with that meaning then that each day it's kind of easy to do it. Um, right. But I don't. Do you find that to be true? Well, I think they're two different things. I, I, I think that um, is it. What's your question? You mean is it is it easy to do it? Well, I mean, you, so you you know, um, like I remember when I was young and I would hear people say it. I would question, well, do I really feel called in that same way? Right. right. You know, what does that what, what does it mean to be called to it? And then, and hand in hand with that. If I'm called to it, then shouldn't I be better at it right away? Yeah. Shouldn't it be easier right away? Shouldn't your first screenplay have been great? You know. Well, that's the scary thing too. That 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 screen. You know, it's like, what if you're called to it and you're not good at it? Right. <laughs> well, so that's when though that that's my question is that um, okay, so it wasn't 15 years of you wanting to be a filmmaker before it happened because you changed lives, but it was 12 years of you wanting to be a filmmaker before you got to make a film. Yeah. And I um, it's I find it incredibly inspiring. Uh, and especially, you know, I intersected. Obviously, you and I intersected right at the moment that happened. Right. But how did you keep yourself going? Well, one, because I was making, once I fell into the commercial world, you I was making, making money. some money. Yeah. And so that allowed me to do it and allowed me to, um, you know, it legitimized me as a as a director in a certain way because I was working in a professional setting. People were paying me to make things and, and paying me that for my made your parents you made my parents happy and it made me happy too it made me well it didn't make me it made me you know made you more confident actually that you could exist in this world you know i had in bob richardson who you know shot all of oliver stone's early movies and shot you know for a while for scorsese and he was my uh you know he was he shot a number of commercials for me so in order to 
it was an incredible experience in the sense that I was his boss. I was telling him where to put the camera and what I wanted to do, and he was listening and thought it was a good idea and you know whatever. So that's like incredibly gratifying and um, you know you, you, it makes you confident. But so. a lot of people then take that moment though, and then they wake up twenty five years later and they've only directed commercials. Great thing if that's what you want to do, right? So what what was still tra- so I'm, I'm sure there were a couple of years where it was like whoa this is great. Yeah, I was always interested in features, and and, and were you and meeting? With, were you trying to take meetings to get jobs? And I was, yeah. yeah and yeah, what yeah. would happen in those? those I don't know. You know, it, I'm a. I think. Look, I think it happens when it when it needs to happen, which isn't just sort of a, you know, pie in the sky kind of thing to say. I I think I'm. I've, I feel like I've always been like a slow, slow. Um, uh, not slow learn, but like sl- uh, like matured late, and you know, and and was slow. I, you know, it was going to happen for me later. I wasn't going to be somebody that burst on the scene and and um, you know fully fully formed. And so, you know, when it ha- when I had was able to make the first film was the really the first time I was ready for it. If I had gotten it before, I didn't just understand the the form at the time. Well, you might know that now, but I kind of wonder about what the disconnect because I would have been because I think you and I met probably a, a year and a half before you made. And we together went, yeah. I made interview with the assassin. Yeah. Dave and I produced it. You wrote and directed it. Um, I actually had another screenplay that that I had written, which we were talking about the, before yeah. the the musician, and that kind of went through. Uh, that was one of those things that's sort of story that you don't think is ever going to happen to you. you what know, we wrote it. It just took forever. You know, we had these close calls where somebody was going to do it, and great, here we go, and then it kind of would fall apart, and then, oh, well, we'll get another actor to do it, and he comes in, and I even started location scouting and things like that, and and it, and then it kept falling apart. So, And were you able to tell yourself the whole time, how did you tell yourself, oh, that's okay, I'm going to write the next... How did you pick your so that goes on you you keep having the disappointment with that script which you liked a lot yeah and you how long did it take you to write it I don't know six months or something like that but then we continued to to rewrite it you know as people kind of got their hands on it they're like well he doesn't he doesn't really change at the end you know can you what can happen at the end to make it you know as you take these meetings and people they really love it but. What about the ending? When you say we... I was actually... I co-wrote it with a guy named Michael Paines, who's an actor. So you guys wrote it together. Mm -hmm. And then... Wow. But I was the one that was taking it out and leading with it. Well, the night that I first met you, our our wives became friends and they introduced us. And when you're someone who works in the entertainment business, the last thing you want to hear is, uh, you know, someone in your world saying, oh, you know, my friend's husband wants to be a director is a very uh, I remember she said we should go out to dinner with them Diana your wife mm-hmm. um, Amy said oh she's great and Neil's really s- smart and he, he's a director or wants to be a filmmaker and I remember thinking like oh this is going to be awful um, and then you know you were so bright and we immediately connected with one another um, but I already was a filmmaker Brian you know you were making commercials <laughs> making commercials <laughs> you you want uh, well okay no but so that's how that's what you were able to tell yourself and yeah. I have total respect for commercial directors, and a lot of commercial directors become feature filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine if someone wants to be that. But it was clear from the moment we sat down that you wanted to be something else. Right. I had ambitions another way, but I was a fully, you know, I was a, you know, I felt 
totally, you know, confident in who I was as a director and my abilities because I'd been through, you know, there were little 30-second things, but I, you know, with people like Bob Richardson or But, but so Fred much Allen of life is how we, so much of life is how we tell ourselves, like the meaning that we give events. A lot of people in that spot would say, I'm just a commercial director. Right. What do you think it is about you that let you go, no, 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 I'm a filmmaker, they just don't see it yet. Or I don't even care that they don't see it yet, I know it. It's like, is that conversations you had with your parents, friends, stuff you'd read? Like, where do you think you get that inner strength from? Uh, where did I get? I don't know, but I did. I certainly did have that inner monologue of, of or an inner dialogue of, uh, like, I, that I had I had ambitions and I had like something that I was heading toward and so I was you know present in what I was doing in the commercials but I was always I was looking you know over the horizon um, for something where that comes from you know it probably you know I I, imagine, I guess it comes from my parents you know but but so. you are you you feel like um, even in the moments of professional disappointment you were able to say like it's them not me or it'll happen eventually and you wouldn't sort of have dips in no i've certainly had dips, dip, doubts and dips in confidence and like never going to happen you know that feeling but but i was determined to keep working and i was you know i was still i was 30 or something and so you know I, and I had opportunities. I had ways that was going to make it happen. I was working with, you know, feature-oriented people. I was at directing commercials at Ridley Scott's company. Right. And so it was all around me, and it was there. And those people, they were, like, interested in, like, well, how let's find a project for Neil. And, you know, so it was going – it was a matter of, like, finding the right and, thing. And what do you think it was that didn't – because uh, that – what do you think was the, the disconnect between what you knew you were capable of and what was immediately apparent to me that you were capable of um, and obviously it's the true true because like I then Dave and I produced your first three movies I did everything I could to get you and your vision to the world because it was so apparent you were like this incredible filmmaker waiting for somebody to see it but what do you think the disconnect was between what you were capable of and what the movie business saw I think it was two things I think it was one I didn't really know how to sell myself you know to kind of present myself in a way in that particular feature world and I didn't find I didn't have the the um you know the material actually that that I liked or that that was right and that really sort of sang for me that first piece though um you're I I I recognize what you're saying um which is sort of like I think in a way, the glib phoniness of it didn't come very easily to you. Uh, the glad-handing part, right? Right. Which isn't the way it always is, but but I, there was some way that that I was supposed to be that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't. Would you <laughs> Would you feel that sometimes time. in the room? Would you feel like, oh, this is slipping away? As, con as much as I know what to do, when I say roll, like, would you feel, oh, no, I don't. I don't know what to say here. A little bit. I wasn't. I felt like I wasn't able to make them all feel happy about, you know, me being the leader of that, of that, uh, you know, that ship, the captain of that ship, or something like that. Because I, I, I was young, you know. Yeah, and I and and it's a. I guess there is a particular way in which 
those conversations sometimes. Whereas in commercials, it didn't, you know, obviously the, sometimes it was the same kind of thing, but in a way, weird way, there was like a, a more of a meritocracy in 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 getting a commercial. Cause Why? It was, because it was just a you were presenting a pure idea, and I had I already had little things that were you know I'd done those MTV things, and people really liked them, and so you got a huge benefit of the doubt. You know, they were one minute long or something like that, so they were like, oh, I can see how he can do this, and then I could, you know. You you get the commercials and you know in presenting some material and visual material and things like that, but in conference calls and you know they're smaller ideas. But you're selling. I I, I mean there's an overt. Do you think part part of it is there's an overt salesmanship in getting those jobs and in the movie jobs you're not supposed to seem like you're maybe, but also there's an overt salesmanship, but also there's like a. Um, there was a um, a tolerance and an appeal of being kind of like for like the weirdo also for the pe- person that was like well it's just going to be like this red light on you know on the guy's face and they would buy it. <laughs> right well because in, the, in that world may oh this is interesting you, you know uh, you're I, I was thinking about this walking over here and uh, um, you know the Holly Hunter line of broadcast news and I, is one of my favorite things you know. When they say to him, you know, what's it like to always be? It must be great being the smartest person in the room. And she says, no, it's terrible, um, or horrible, whatever the. I don't want to get his dialogue wrong, but um, perhaps in the commercial world they were happy to have that, and in the feature world somehow you're you would make them. I mean, I think this is possibly true. You you didn't have that much tolerance, I wonder, for. I didn't know what they wanted right. really. You didn't know what they wanted to hear. Yeah, I was just like, here, I'm. I can do this, and you know, would you do that in a, you know, you again in commercials, it's, it's just a smaller sort of thing. You could be like, yeah, well, I don't know, I think it's going to be. You know, we'll use a lot of long lenses, or <laughs> you know what I mean. You could you could say just like it could be one idea. Whereas I wouldn't. That's not me anyway. But I could still be. I could be completely myself. I could be shy, for example, and you could still get the commercial. Whereas in the feature world, I don't. You know, there's all sort of big personality producers who, you know, wanted that meeting to be about them or something like that. And I was like, okay, you can let it be about you, you know, if that's what you want. Anyway. Right. And then you couldn't, you didn't know, how do I get my vision across to these, these people? What is it? What is it they want to know from me that they can't tell from my work? Right. And what do you think allowed you to then grow in that area? Uh, you know, you get older, you get more confident, you know, you don't get phased by somebody who seems to be like more confident, you or more intimidated. So that doesn't bother you. And then the other thing was once I did the movie, once I did interview the assassin and it was, you know, well received, then I had this movie that they people they you know, it's like, they're like, Oh, we like that. And we, some people did. And, um, yeah, but it was still all, it took us two and a half years to get the illusionist made. Yeah, but that's because it was such an uh, unusual choice to. If I was going to do a, if I, if we had decided that we were going to do a, uh, you know, a more narrative version of an assassin movie after that, it probably would have been easier. Rather than sure. to do like, I mean, it couldn't be some, it couldn't be more different than to do a, a period piece about a magician after a fake documentary about the, you know, guy who claims to be have killed JFK. Yeah, and I think it's important to say, you know, when I got the the script, as I remember, you know, Amy and I would go home after seeing you guys because we started seeing you. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw you a couple of times, and you told me about that idea that you had for we a movie. Were, we swing. 
Well, no. No, I think it's important to say that we didn't. <laughs> no, there was kidding. no swinging. Um, just because you grew up in Connecticut, yeah, I didn't. Right. We weren't, where I grew up, we did, there was none of that. No key parties. Um, <laughs> but that's 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 your that's your life for a different... You, I mean, if you want to talk about it... You protest too much. Brian. We can talk about it if you want yeah. to. But, uh, but you... I remember Dave and I were editing Knockaround Guys, and... Um, you, I think, called me and said, I'm sending you this screenplay. You sent it on paper. I don't... We, there was email then, but I think you sent a paper, a script. I remember reading it on this on paper. He said, I finished the script, and, and we had talked about the idea. And I remember reading it and being... And it was incredible. I mean, absolutely one of the... Uh, I probably remember the first time I read eight or nine screenplays, you know, Quentin's version of Natural Born Killers. I remember when I read um, uh, House of Games, someone gave that to me. Uh, There were these moments I remember, and and reading Interview with the Assassin was a a singular moment like that, because you seem to me to be a fully formed talent, and and everything in, in reading that told me this guy can direct movies, and I remember thinking... That he must. I, what I thought, and I love hearing you say it. I thought he must not know how to talk to people. <laughs> but, well, that's funny because I, I, I couldn't. I can't, and probably more I can now. But I couldn't bullshit, you know, at the time. Right. You didn't know how to like smooth the room over. No. Even though you're fun, you can do it with your friends. You're funny at the table. You can do the. You know, you can. Yeah, but it was like you're suddenly like in a spotlight, and I, that that was. And did part of you feel? Um, bothered that they'd want that, like it wasn't Probably. a purist, because like, you're young yeah. and a purist. Yeah, you didn't want to lower yourself to it. I, I didn't know how to, and I and I didn't believe in it. Yeah, see, that's what I think. I I think that's true. You didn't believe in it. Like, why should I have to? Right. Yeah, I never had that problem <laughs> <laughs> uh, ever. But I under I respected it right away, and that's why I knew that we could help. You. I, I knew that we could help you, as you recognize that it would uh, that there could be a, a way to help get that a- across. Because um, because to me, it was like a crime against nature that you were this gifted and you were forty years old and you hadn't. I wasn't. Made a I think you were sixty, and you hadn't made. No, you were like what thirty eight or thirty nine. I think I was thirty six. Yeah. Wait, what time? I thought ninety nine. Forty when we made the movie. No. We made the movie in 2000. Yeah. How old are you? 37. 36, actually. Right. Still a long way to wait. And uh, <laughs> I have to say. and No, because I think that people um, view Hollywood as if you don't make it happen very early, you can forget about it. I think that's what most people think. Right. Well, if you think of something like Paul Haggis didn't make Crash until he was 51 or something like that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And that that was rejected by everybody. Right. Um, though he worked in television, he wrote a lot of TV scripts. He, he was in the game, yeah, um, for a long time, and then yes, finally had this moment where everything changed for him, right? Um, because, but if someone looks at, at the work you've done since, I mean, you've just made you know really strong movie after strong movie, and even if there's one or two that didn't, I mean, one that didn't perform the way everyone might have hoped, that's still a really strong film if mm. if people watch it. And I just wonder, you know, if you were ready to have done that. Five years before, but you think you were? I, I don't think I was. Yeah, and you know, especially with say, interview with the assassin, where I actually knew what that was. I knew what it was to make a f- uh, 
the documentary that the guy in the movie was trying to make. It's a fake documentary. And it's a micro movie we made for very little money that we were all able to raise. Um, Today, you'd be able to make that movie for $30,000 or $50,000. Then it was a little more than that. But um, you then felt like, okay, what made you decide, okay, I'm going to write this and I'm going to get this little movie made? Well, because I'd been working on that musician movie and, you know, we'd have sort of three false starts and I was like, forget it. I'm just going to, I can't be... Uh, beholden to this system that's so, you know, unpredictable. And so I was like, I'm going to make a movie that's a fake documentary. And I'd I'd had the idea a while ago. And I thought, and now there were sort of smaller video cameras and things like that. And and the Blair Witch Project had come out. And so people could see that a fake documentary could be, you know, entertaining, excuse me, and commercial and you know that it was that it was you could you could make a it wasn't so much about a fake documentary but you could make a very ragged film um a deliberately ragged film and a, a fragmented maybe a better word and, and, and that and that it could it could hold together narratively if anybody out there is somebody who's interested in, in movies and is a writer is interested in screenplays you know if you can get your hands on that screenplay i don't know if it's online anywhere um i don't know either i bet you we can find a way to put it up online but um you wrote the script of, as though it were a transcript of an already finished movie. Right. How did you get... Do you remember getting that idea? Mm-hmm. What, yeah, What was I the do. thought? I just wanted it to be... I mean, to be completely <laughs> authentic, that the whole thing was that it had really happened. And so if there was a script of it, it couldn't be a script because then a script is before it's happened. You know, it then... It wasn't a scripted piece. It was just something that existed, so that the script then had to be a transcript. Well, yeah, well, it was a really brilliant idea. And it has a dedication to the guy and the... Yeah, everything about the script, you feel like, (laughs) as you're reading it, and I knew it wasn't real because you pitched me the idea over dinner, but it felt, it had this incredible sense of veracity, which you worked so hard to capture in, then, in making the the movie. Um, And was making your first movie, I mean, I said to you... uh, what happened when you were with Mario and Warren Light, who were a couple of guests early mm-hmm. on? You said they were they were telling you about doing this, and that I had their what they... <laughs> yeah, well, because the the moment, right? Yeah, and um and they were like, yeah, Brian thought my moment was this, or Brian thought my moment was that, and he's no, that's not my moment, but he thought that was my moment, so I guess that's my moment. Yeah, I mean, I buy that with Mario. There's no way Warren. I mean, he t- he spent uh, 25 minutes telling me about getting that show made and how that was definitely right. like the moment, but. Uh, so you, I said to you, so what's what did you moment? think? Well, I said to you, if, if that's the case, I don't want to put that on you. you know, I, I know you better than most of the guests I, I would have here. I mean, have you thought about it? You know, is it getting to make the first movie? Is it uh, finally getting on the set of like a real big movie, The Illusionist, for the first? Like, wh- 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 I think so. I mean, I think I think doing the, the second. I mean, obviously, making your first movie is an, an incredible thing, and there's a couple of things that I remember. Um, I mean, I remember the whole thing, but there are a couple of moments that that felt, you know, really powerful. But I think, you know, somehow the illusionist to do a, you know, to do a, 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 a for lack of a better way, like a Hollywood movie, you know, a really fully formed movie with, you know, actors, movie stars, movie stars was I remember being on the set one of the first days and, and you know, having... Here, listening to Edward read one of the lines and remembering, like, when I had thought of that line, like driving in a car or something like that, and pulling over and writing it down. And then, and then there he was saying it 
in 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 Prague in front of this huge crew, and that was. It's not that's not the moment that you're looking for, but it was an incredible. Well, no, feeling. there's moments that are those are like moments of validation yeah. or that lift you. What's fascinating to me is, um, you know, the stuff leading up to it. How how people who accomplish remarkable things process, like, you know, you, which we've talked about how you processed, and I think as gifted as you are, as smart as you are, I mean, the fact that you were able to process rejection is almost not even rejection for a number of years is incredible to me and I, like i take a lesson from that which is well i took it as rejection i mean it was daunting but i just kept i just kept sort of bullheaded and just kept going you forward. took it as rejection but but you you didn't accept their judgment i don't think i mean i mean you know you do and you don't but not obviously not so much that it tipped me i didn't quit so i guess yeah and I you were willing and 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 i still felt like i had avenues to pursue would you um did you ever see any of it as a call to change certain aspects of how you did things or did that happen later do you think well i felt again i felt like i was learning i didn't really fully understand the form yet and so i was constantly trying to not to make it more palatable to these people but that i hadn't figured out like okay well how, where does how do these stories how do they really, you know, explode off the page? Or how do they, how does that, how does a movie, what is it about that movie that, you know, is so compelling? And what is it about mine that, you know, I was still learning. Yeah, how do I make it undeniable? Yeah. In a way. Or how do I achieve this, um, like the ideal of this movie? How do I manifest Right, it? right. So I felt like I have still, I'd, you know, movies are really complex. You know, they're, they're and at the same time being really simple. But I mean, what goes into it to make just like a simple emotion is so complicated. And, um, or it has so many aspects to it. And I, you know, I just was still learning. I didn't feel like it was a, it wasn't, um, it wasn't necessarily a second nature form for me, you know? Yes. So when you had this moment you were talking about on the set, shooting movies, as you said, never easy, really. Right. Lots of stuff going on. It's hard. Did you, so you noted to yourself, wow, that's amazing. You allowed yourself that as you then dove into whatever solving, mm -hmm. whatever the problems mm -hmm. of the film were. Yeah. Are you good at that generally? Are you no. someone who tries to stay present in that stuff? Oh no, I'm not at, in, in, in like in enjoying it. Yeah, and being really present, like this is incredible or this is great, or do you have to put blinders on? Like, how do you how do you um, pick up the rewards along the way and make them um, tangible for yourself, or as part of shutting yourself off to the rejection, <laughs> shutting yourself off to the rewards? Probably, I think they're they're related. I remember when the I don't know maybe it was the illusionist, but talking to my wife, you know, she was like, "Oh my God, you've completed." product you got through it that's so fantastic let's celebrate i was like no i gotta you know i gotta edit the movie <laughs> and um and then it was like the editing was you finished the movie that's so great oh and now we you know now we have to get a distributor you know and i was like okay you got it she was be like you got a distributor let's celebrate well when's the release date and you know and then finally it was like you got a release date the movie's coming out you know the movie opened and and um or the movie opens tomorrow. It's so great, you know. Can we celebrate? She's like, no, I got to wait to, you know, what what the New York Times review is going to be. So, <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, I'm less like that now, but but. Um, uh, yes, and then when you read the good New York Times review, were you okay? Then I was like, what am I going to do next? Because <laughs> I remember to me on Solitary Man, which is like the hardest one that, for us to mm -hmm. direct, the, the hardest one to get made. Uh, I mean, The Illusionist was harder to get made. But the sort of struggle to make Solitary Man, 
And I remember the Times review coming out, and it was so positive. Mm. And I knew it was a small movie. It was not like The Illusionist, where it was going to be a hit movie. It was a darker movie. Uh, and I never had aspirations that it would be a hit movie. And I remember my son in the middle of the night getting that review. And he, like, woke me up whenever oh. it came out. And he said... We, like I can breathe now, <laughs> like and, and it was for me. Right. I hate to give a critic ever the po- any power. I know. But I will say that Tony Scott's review, of that A.O. Scott's review of that movie, like I'd say, I'm the waves from that review are still hitting me. Right. Because <laughs> it was such right. a struggle to get there. Yeah. But maybe your way is healthier to not care. No, I don't think it's healthier. No, I think you have to, you have to enjoy it, and. um you know, you have to take those moments and celebrate it. And enjoy are, are you it. working on that now? <laughs> so many things I'm working on, Brian. Um, uh, you know, I'm trying to live like that, and I have let. You know, there's a little bit less. It's you know, each movie for the past, everything was like, oh, if I blow this, then I'm like, I'll never. Right? Work no, again. you're very successful. Direct. I mean, you've done it now for sure, but yeah, but you still grind. I mean, I st- your primary mode is still to grind. I think. Well, it's still to like just. Yeah, to to kind of push through and not 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 take my eye off the off the prize. Because I, I want to I want to talk about um, the thing that led to the illusionist getting made. So we make this small movie, and um, I I was on Tim Ferriss's great podcast recently, uh, which is uh, he's this ama- you know Tim is this incredible guy about uh, who wrote the Four Hour Work Week at the Four Hour Body, and he's. An incredible guy right, about sort of perfecting, saying. you know, trying to maximize and optimize who you are in all sorts of different ways. And we were talking about rejection, and I told the story of of um, The Illusionist, which is, uh, I'll tell the end of it first, a movie that basically did $100 million in box office worldwide. Uh, you wrote it. We worked on it with you for a long, long, long time. And uh, you didn't deviate and... Like, as we got rejection after rejection at every stage, knowing it was great, like, you wrote it to me, we knew. Again, I got to add, like, what made you stick with that and not then do something else? Like, how did you say to yourself, I'm going to, I can get this thing made and we're going to do this? Because it took like two years, more, two and a half. Yeah. I I think some sort of level of, like, delusional, (laughs) delusion, Um, I don't... I'm not quite sure how I stuck with it at that at that time, but it didn't. I sort of I had faith in it, but I, I guess I couldn't quite believe that we'd come up completely short. No, nor could I. Uh, and did you get a, a sense of? And and what happened was at each stage. Just uh, I, I don't want to retell it in case people heard the the Ferris thing, but at each stage we got rejected. So you wrote the script. I mean, we spent six months talking about the story or forma and then you wrote the script and mm-hmm. we would meet and meet and meet to go through it mm-hmm. then we had the script that we all thought was excellent it got rejected by everybody <laughs> then uh the notion came up to do this new a new ending uh change it slightly right and then it got rejected by everybody and then we attached uh, edward to the movie and it's still and at each stage of rejection, but once and, Edward was on, it, well, then we, then we got Paul. Well, then yes, but we still only had that small little place to make it. No movie studio, only that little company. Right. And then when yeah. we made the movie and tested it, we tried to get a distributor and we couldn't. <sighs> then we could. Well, when we when we when we went to Sundance, Th- but that was after the tests. Oh, really? Remember we did the test in California where it tested like in the high nineties? Yeah. 
and and we didn't have but he was but he had he was he was controlling it then uh, bro, we're was. now we're getting in the weeds but the but the point is because it's like yes the guy who ran this like little company that financed it but when it all happened finally yes I mean, we were at sundance and we got one offer that's what we got well, i know who offered uh, to distribute the movie we got one offer after the sundance screening and the reviews out of sundance weren't amazing later they were all great when the thing finally happened and was this huge success and changed your life, did you have a moment of like, you know, screw you to everybody? Or was it... Um, no, it's just more relief. Like, thank God. You know? Was that the first, like, I'm not crazy? Like, is that I'm not a lunatic moment? You know, it's hard because it's, you know, people always expect that there's these kind of eureka... No, it's interesting if there aren't. There's what's revelations. the truth? I, I just want to know the truth. I think that it's, I, I, I think it's just such a, it was such a long process and it was such a grueling process, an exhausting process to get, you know, as you say, you know, to get the movie made and then to get it seen, um, that it was, you know... It, 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 you know, you're just so worn down by it that once it happens, you know, like, you know, it's just, it's just such a, a sense of relief. And, um, yeah, and there's a sense of, like, I mean, you know, the, one of that distributor was, like, you know, the the one that, that was going to, was universal, actually, was going to buy it and the our distributor wouldn't wouldn't sell it or the studio wouldn't sell it. And, you know, they were all like, oh, you left $100 million on the table or whatever it was, you know, but it was just... There's so much noise, you know. Well, yes, and then talking. that guy ended up. I, mean, I didn't tell this part. I mean, then then that guy ended up they stealing all the money we should have made from it, right? Um, which we never. I mean, none of us ever got, right? Uh, so you're saying all, so? It's hard to say. Screw you! At it's like screw you all. We're getting ripped off by somebody else. Yeah, but the other that's that's <laughs> no, that's an interesting perspective. See, I being there felt this incredible validation for you. Like right. I felt like well. You know, Neil uh, showed them that they were all idiots. Because I took tremendous satisfaction in seeing once again the experts are wrong. Right. But you didn't. You didn't. It didn't hit you in that way, or you didn't care about it. No, I always think the experts are right, and they were just. I'm just squeaking in. You know, like being allowed to. At the, you know, a place at the party. So how do you keep those two thoughts in your head at the same time, man? <laughs> yeah, but how do you keep arrogance those... to yeah. make a movie? <laughs> yeah, how do you keep those two thoughts in your head at the same time? The, um, oh, I'm not crazy, I'm, I should be doing this, but they're probably, they're probably right. Like, I have to find one modality to be in, I think, to right. push this stuff well, what, forward. On one, on one hand, it's obviously one, you know, the ego arrogance side you know wins out because that's what or else I wouldn't be doing it that's the determination and so perhaps the other side the more you know the 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 self-critical which is what it is really is is a useful the, the self-critical side is a useful tool just in looking at your own work and not and being rigorous not like writing go wow I just wrote something incredible and then everybody else is like well, yeah, but whatever. Whereas for me, it's like, I just wrote this. How can I be better? Maybe it isn't good. Is it good? Is it, I don't know. Is it good? Let's keep pushing. Keep put. you know, whatever it is. You know, how can it be better? So it's that self 
critical, that humble, like, well, maybe I don't belong here, you know, that keeps, that perhaps keeps the, the work honest or keeps the, keeps pushing the work, keeps kind of, you know, honing the, 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 the piece. Well, in a weird way, that can give you confidence, right? The willingness to like, um, to know that you've pushed yourself really hard. Right. Can then, when you have the thing, give you confidence because you've, um, you've done your own stress testing in a way. Right. Uh, which you definitely do on your on your work. I mean, uh, we do it. Uh, yeah. So I always think the balance is when you're writing a first draft or your idea, you have to let yourself get carried away with your enthusiasm. And then, like, there are a couple of amateur mistakes. Like, one amateur mistake is to, like, be filled with the gas of excitement, but then when it gets tough in the middle of it, be like, oh, I sucked. It must not have been very good to begin with. <laughs> But the other one is to be carried along in your enthusiasm, finish this draft, and then just think, it's amazing. Yeah. You have to, uh, to me, and tell me if this is your thing, you have to find a way to get yourself carried along to finish. Right. And then you have to put this incredibly critical eye to it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that that's No, part I think of that's really do? right. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you definitely, I'm, you know, when you're writing it and writing like, you know, just churning out pages in a good way because you're in the zone and you're just bleary-eyed at the end of the day, and you're sort of loving the connections, and it's kind of, it's, it's taking you down a road that's, you know, that wasn't in your outline. You know, you're kind of, you know, leaping to these other things and sort of discovering and things coming together. You, yeah, you think it's, but you think it's great, but not like in a, I guess there's a little bit of like, oh, people are going to love this, but it's also just like you're falling in love with it, you know, which is yeah. sort of a different, it's just, it's, it's not even that. It's just like, if you're on a, if you're playing a sport it, and you, you know, and you're, you're playing basketball and you're just sinking these shots, you're not like, I'm great. I'm great. You're just like, yes, yes. You know, it's a sort of a slightly different sure. thing. And then how do you, how do you relate that to then managing actors and a crew? The... How do you where, who where you have to uh, stoke their enthusiasm? Right. Yeah, I mean that's a different that's a different uh, tool of of getting them excited and at the beginning getting them kind of on board with your with your vision, whether it be a designer or a cameraman or or an actor, um, and which is a certain amount of salesmanship that we were talking about before. But you know, if you love the piece that you've that you have in front of you, the script or whatever it is, you and you are enthusiastic about it, that is, you know, it's a, a um, you know, they'll feel the same way. Um, not always, but often. And um, and then, you know, on day-to-day directing them, it's, you know, it's a little bit of the same thing, but it's obviously there's sort of specific things, you know, as a director to, to you know, elicit a performance um, and also to, and to give them enough rope to, an act, in the case of an actor, to find something better than what you know than what you came up with how did you learn uh how to do that well i mean commercials gave you a piece of it but mm-hmm. but then ha- working with movie stars was it difficult to figure out how to finesse those for somebody like who do- who as you said uh certainly when you were younger you kind of didn't want to be bothered to have to filter the thoughts through some bs right but do you have to with actors? And are you, how have you... Yeah, you have to find, and it's not BS, you just have to find a way to put something um, that allows them to find what you want them to find. Um, and it's a, sort of a tricky 
puzzle, mind game. Um, I mean, I'd done a little bit of theater at college, so I sort of had a sense of that. And I, st- and I, you know, I took some acting classes, and I, you know, I studied that as well. And I talked to a lot of people, and you know, just you picked up sort of little tricks and read a lot about it and you know and they are tricks in a way so well that's interesting i wonder if part of the thing that stoked your confidence because um i think so many people it's it's this issue of how do you stay mm, confident and focused is all that tangential work that you would do surrounding the thing that you wrote like talk about the stuff you did when you knew you wanted to make the illusionist and it was all these years of getting no i'm now realizing you know i asked you the question what you did i mean you were figuring out while everyone was telling you no, you were actually not just dreaming of making the movie. You were like um, planning how to make the movie, right? right. Can you talk yeah. about sort of the yeah. work you did? Well, I think that's right. What you what you started to say about like that you get the confidence. At least I do by having having done the work. Um, but uh, you know, to have having um, uh, you know to becoming an expert, an authority on, on whatever on whatever it is, and so you know. Um, uh, so with the illusionist, you know, I watched every single movie that had anything remotely to do with the story, whether it was a period piece or something that was set in the same time of it, or even even things like okay, in one part of the movie, there's sort of a narrative turn or a dramatic turn that happens that's kind of like something that happened in um, you know some other movie, and. Um, like in the English patient or something like that. And I just like studied that, like, you know, those moves in the English patient. So it wasn't even the whole movie. It was just, English patient had nothing to do with, I mean, actually it has something to do with it, but it, you know, there'd be a scene and then I would, you know, and I knew that scene inside and out and it, all it did was apply to one scene in the illusionist. Um, and, and I did that, you know, over the course of the whole movie. And but not just with the writing of the movie. Yeah. I think mean, you would think uh, really talk about how you figured out what you wanted the movie to look like and yeah. how you figured out the way that so when you got the green light, you could start expressing it to people on day 1. Right. Well, so for example, I wanted all the, you know, there were certain you know, certain, you know, I, I was looking into like what does the movie look like? How is it not just like a period piece that like any other period piece? And so I was looking at these you know, I'm in, very interested in photography, and I knew about these. Um, I actually was at a friend's house who had showed me this weird book of photographs, and there were these really old color photographs that were autochromes that were done by. Uh, there was just one photo, the Lumiere brothers, and so then I just started studying autochromes, which were like from 1905 or something like that, and um, and they were just such a they were like this primitive photographic process that just had that was so kind of lyrical and beautiful and weird and I thought oh that movie's got to look like that and then I started just studying autochromes and there's there's autochromes and there's autochromes you know there's ones that sort of feel green and there's ones that look totally normal and there's one that looks like impressionist impressionist paintings I didn't want it to look like that I wanted it to look like you know a couple of guys who did autochromes so then I looked at everything that I you know, could see about them, so. and tried to figure out how to recreate that effect. That's right. How how to do it visually? What was it like? It's sort of like the way the irregularity of the lenses and the irreg- irregularity of the emulsions of the of the film, and what that did to skin tones, and what that did to sort of focus, you know, focus and and why like and yeah, and like you're saying, why why did it look like this, and That's how right. can I today, and how can I how can I create that that similar look right. without it feeling, you know, synthetic in some way. I mean, I think it's really important because it's not like you walked into that with that knowledge. 
you like chased that knowledge down. That's right. I sort of had a taste of it, and I had like a little, I had a little grain of of knowledge, and you were made- and then I like you know an interest, and I sort of followed those those paths. Well, in in a way that the years that it took allowed you to dive even deeper and deeper right. and right. deeper in, and so maybe that kind of like um, immersion helps. Yeah. Uh, I, I you know you wrote. Um, interview by yourself Mm -hmm. you wrote illusionist by yourself Mm -hmm. you haven't written a screenplay alone Mm -mm. since then right i'm I'm just wondering why and and is it a big shift to you to think of yourself uh look i'm a director so there's other ways that i can get material i mean those things have such a full vision and i i wonder if uh i wonder if you ask yourself that question well I do. I think about it all the time. And um, one, you know, they both of those took those scripts took a really long time to to write, and it seems harder and harder to kind of take a year off and um, and write a screenplay. Um, and I also, even though they're completely different, I had a real personal connection to both of them. And also, in certain cases, like with Interview of the Assassin, I'd actually made documentaries and I'd interviewed you know, old World War II pilots and things like that. And all of that kind of thing is, is you know, the idiosyncrasies of the way these, you know, old guys would respond to questions and balk at answering certain questions. That's all part of the the movie. And so it felt like, and all the sort of fragmented documentary process, you know, I edited lots of documentaries. And so you felt like, oh, I have control. I understand I, this. I know what it is. I yeah. was like, I'm a th- you know, to use the author, I like am the authority. You know, I know how this should be. And with the Illusionist, which is totally different, and it's set in 1900 Vienna, which I don't know. I did, however, have the. Um, I had a short story that it was based on well, that had a real beauty to it. I had you guys to bounce some ideas off of, and I had some kind of sense of like, you know, the un this uncanny sort of feel that I wanted. Well, I remember the, the way that that came to be was we were in the editing room on Interview with the Assassin, and uh, I said to you, there's this short story called Eisenheim the Illusionist that Dave and I have carried around for 13 years. We know it's a movie. We don't know what it is. And you immediately said, I know how to make that movie. Right. And we said, how do you... You go, I love that story. I actually think I know. Right. And, um, and it was clear that you did, and it was the tone. All you really knew was, I know what it should feel like, right? Right. Yeah, you didn't know it narratively. I didn't. Exactly. I didn't know because I hadn't invented all that. Because a lot of those characters aren't in, oh, yeah, of the, in the story. No, I didn't know that. But I knew, yeah, how it should feel as a as a movie. And I remember Dave and I looking at each other, going, "Oh, this is you know, like oh, he really does. Like, let's go figure this out." Right. Um, and uh, and so you wrote it. And yes, I mean, there was a lot of story conversations that we all had. Uh, but. Why haven't you? Is it just that it's just the time? You think uh, it's just the time investment? Do you think you can get? I guess what I'm asking is, I love Limitless. I mean, I love that movie. I watched it three times. Uh, but how do you balance in your own mind? You know, you you made Limitless a huge movie, and then you made Divergent, which is a gigantic movie. Um, you started as this personal, you know, painter. Like you started as this personal right. storyteller. Well, actually, I'm trying. I'm trying to get back. I'm wondering that. about that because yeah. you must be obviously you're being offered huge movies all the right, time. Right. How do you like what draws you to your subjects now? And 
Is there a part of you that wants to express a personal vision still? Is it something different for you now? No, I, I really want to get back to that, actually. And, and, you know, Limitless, when I did Limitless, I, um, I thought that that was going to be my studio movie. That that was, I was like, all right, I'm going to do one for the studio. You know, the sense of, like, you do one for one for art and one for commerce in the film business because you have to, you know, you have to earn a certain sure. amount of capital, creative capital, in order to, you know, make these smaller movies. Some people don't, but... but but most people do. Um, and so I thought, oh, I'm doing Limitless and that'll be my studio movie. And I remember it coming out and and uh, and saying that to somebody, you know, who was in the business. They were like, what? That's like an edgy independent movie. That's not a studio movie, <laughs> which it was. But um, and didn't, in other words, didn't buy me anything. So um, in, in any case, it, it um, uh, so I've done this, uh, this, this big movie, Divergent, which is kind of this franchisey movie, and um, and but now I'm in this process of actually going back to my filmmaker fundamentals and um, taking the time to really remember why I wanted to be a filmmaker. And it's not like I've completely forgotten it, but I've but or forgotten it at all. But trying to like f- get back to stories that. You know, really taking the time to be really picky and it's like, that's almost it, but that's not quite it. And I'm going to wait until I find that story that really um, is the one that I've always wanted to make. Uh, I'm sure you will find that. And I'm sure you'll find it again and again. What, what, What remains your favorite part of the process now? Is it the initial idea? Is it the collaborative part? Like, What's the part of this that gives you the charge still, do you think? I do. I do like all of it. I mean, there's something incredible when you actually finish a script, when you get to you know page 120 or 122 or 118. That's amazing that you have this thing to to go out with. Now you're only at the beginning of this, what's going to be a really heartbreaking process, but somehow yeah. there's like a real kind of again you you're in a way you're really only ever in the zone. If, you, if you, you know, using that athletic, you know, sports analogy or sports term, um, when you're when you're writing like that, sometimes you have that feeling when you're directing, but it's not. It's too just you 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 don't get like overcome. You're not like having a, like a religious experience right. or something. Once in a while in the editing room, do you have that when you, you saw when like something clicks in? You're, but in the editing room, you're sort of just yeah. There's kind of like an enjoyment of it, but it's not, and it can be physical, but it's um it's different. I mean, the editing process is great because then you're through the the nightmare of of the grueling nightmare of production, um, and the only the only the only problem with the editing process is would be like profound regret, you know, <laughs> that you that you've that you've missed something, and it's like. Oh, you know what how can i where is that you know we didn't get that shot and that's like nothing this none of these things can work however what's so wonderful about editing is that you can you can often solve those problems and um and you know and get through it well that's great you know when when i was walking here i was trying to think about um uh you know i i don't usually think about sort of like the meaning of this is going to be but you sent me an email yesterday and i i wanted to think about it a, a little and i think that um you know, for me, uh, the 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 inspiration that you are every day um, is somebody who's <clears throat> um, walked around with this incredible toolkit, and you've built upon it and built upon it and built upon it 
um, and somehow kept the faith that eventually it would be recognized and you would be able to put it to use. Um, but instead of letting the tools rust, you know, you kept employing them in whatever way you could to get there. And, uh, and that even your time in the wilderness didn't really feel like that to you. Uh, and so the idea that, uh, what you keenly focus on at first when I ask about editing is the profound regret you feel that you messed up, but it's great that you're able, and I think to see, uh, and keep in, in mind at the same time, but I can fix it. Right. Right. Now, there's a very funny, there's a, there's a, I love this, I always go to the negative, of course, but there's a movie called The Anniversary Party or something like that that Jennifer Jason Lee directed and something like that, and John, John C. Riley plays a director, and he's looking at footage, and, and, um, and his wife is kind of standing over his shoulder, and, and he's like, just got his head in his hands, he's like, oh my God, what have we and she's like, She's, and his wife says, "Don't worry, you'll you'll fix it. You've done it before. You you, you always do. You'll fix it." And he just turns. And he says, "What if I can't?" <laughs> that's that's a perfect note on which to end. What if I can't? Uh, thanks for listening, Neil. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, thank you. Can't wait uh, to see what you make next and uh, uh, be a part of some of it. And. Um, uh, thanks for listening. Neil is on Twitter, but not that active. At... Right, trying to get back to it. I, I don't know. What's your name on Twitter? Are you just Neil Berger? I think it's Neil Berger. I mean, I'll. Tw- oh yeah, it is. It is. It's I'll Neil tweet it out, uh, yeah. and then I'm Brian Koppelman. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes, or go to Grantland.com and click on podcasts.